It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show. Our mission is to serve you and empower you so you can make better financial decisions in your life. This episode, we're going to dive into something that can be a major stressor in your life right now, the stock market. How bad are things? And should you really rethink the investing you do in your life? And in addition, I'm going to talk about something that we often see in times of economic distress. It's actually an incredible positive. New businesses growing out of the rubble of layoffs. Maybe it's time for you to think about starting your own business. We'll talk about that. So last year was really, really ugly, really badly ugly in the stock market and the bond market. And most of us don't own stocks or bonds directly, but we own them through funds. And most of us don't have investment accounts, but we do have retirement accounts. We might have a Roth IRA, a traditional IRA, IRAs and 401ks, a SEP, a 403b. So this month, you got your statements for last year. They may have come just in the last couple of days. It's not good. If you're invested in a typical portfolio, you probably lost somewhere a little under 20% of your account value last year. But what's really weird is that if you have a mixed bag of bonds and stocks, like I'm very classic 60-40, 60% stock index funds, 40% bond funds. So bonds normally protect you when stocks go down. Not last year. Bonds went down typically around 14% last year. Very, very rare. How rare? I saw something in Barron's that the cycle is mathematically typical once every 130 years. Now, I don't know if that number is on the nose, but it does point out how rare what happened in 22 is. I mean, extremely rare that you're going to have stocks of all shapes and sizes do this big decline in bonds are going to do the big decline because usually the bonds protect you at a time that stocks are falling. But we had such an unusual set of circumstances that I can tell you it hadn't happened in my lifetime. And maybe it is once every 130 years. Know this, the value of your accounts should have declined all the way back to where they were at the end of 21. That's right. The declines we suffered last year should have taken you back just a single year in the value of your accounts because we had these big run-ups in value in prior years. And we've had an incredibly up market from 2009 till the end of 21. We had a big, big upward movement in stocks in 22 was a terrible timeout. So 
we always feel losses much more powerfully and painfully than we enjoy the gains when those are happening. And if you have old records, look back and see if for you, what is generally the case is also true, that what you had at the end of 20 is the same as what you had at the end of 22. We did lose some time here, but it is typical and normal that investments go through cycles that are wonderful up cycles, followed by really ugly down cycles. You have to be willing as an investor, when you use the word investing, investing means you're putting your money at risk. You have to be willing to take the scary ride on the roller coaster down in order to get the long-term benefit of the roller coaster going up. So this is a long way around of saying, I have made not a single meaningful change in my portfolio after I've seen the ugly losses of 22, because I know that the strategy and the investment direction I'm in long-term pays off. The people who really suffered from the decline in the stock market in 22 are people who have just retired. And they had money they were anticipating being able to live on that evaporated overnight. And there's no minimizing that. But their money will recover as well. But it means a couple of uncomfortable years. As for this year, anybody who tells you what the market is going to be like on the last day of 23 versus the first trading day of 23, Anybody who says, oh, this is what's going to happen, they're just talking because you can only look back and say why what happened happened, but you cannot accurately predict in the short term what values will be in a short cycle. But you can predict with virtual certainty that enough years in front of you, the market will be your friend and grow your money faster and better than anything else with those scary down cycles of the roller coaster. Krista? This is from Lynn in Illinois. She says, I currently own a hobby farm home that is valued at $280,000 and I owe $170,000. Despite volatile interest rates, I have decided to move a few counties over to a slightly larger acreage in the price range of three hundred dollars I have an 810 credit score, but do not have spare cash to cover the down payment of a new home without the proceeds from the sale of my current farm. I really need to buy then sell since I'm looking for something so specific, which may take over a year to find. Once the perfect house comes up, I want to buy and then put my current home on the market right away. Is it a bad idea to take out a home equity loan short term to cover the down payment on my new home? I'll be able to pay it off as soon as my current home sells. So, all right, there's a few things here. One, your credit standing's good. You have a meaningful amount of equity. You own over a third of the existing dwelling. You could set up a home equity line of credit to deal with the bridge you need for the down payment on the new property. You also, because it's in a rural area, you may find that your best loan is going to be one of the uh, USDA home loans. And it's a pretty obscure part of the mortgage lending market, 
But if you live in a rural area, a local bank will be familiar with that kind of lending. And the amount of money you'll need for a down payment on the new property will be relatively small, not requiring much money from a home equity line of credit. You were going in with your eyes open, knowing that the new property will carry a ridiculously high mortgage compared to the recent past. But if you go longer term, that mortgage by historical numbers will not be a bad interest rate number at all. And this is from Elvin. He's also in Illinois. Clark, where can I order personal checks at the cheapest price? My bank charges a lot of money. So uh, should you be at that bank in the first place if they fee you to death on checks and treat checks as a giant profit center? I, I have not had a traditional bank account in decades. And I do my banking through Charles Schwab. And when I need checks, they're free. And it's just one of the things that is a difference between traditional banks that keep losing more and more market share to other players because they look for every way to gouge your wallet. But if you want to stay with them, you can order checks third party, many different places. In the old days, you would look in a Sunday newspaper and they'd have the glossies with the ads for the independent check producers. You can also go to the warehouse clubs. You can go online and look for ordering checks online, and you'll see many, many great offers available, and they'll usually cost a tenth to a fifth of what it costs to order checks from your bank. The checks are the same. They, there's no difference in the quality or the safety and security of those checks. Um, but my favorite is to go to the warehouse clubs and if you're a member of one of them, and order your checks through the warehouse club. Yeah, because I'd be worried too, giving some of my all my info on some site I've never heard but of. But you can look at who the owner is behind the curtain of those sites. And Trustpilot probably too. And many of the, um, the third-party check companies are actually the same ones that print the checks for the banks. Mm. And by the way, while I'm on this, it annoys the daylights out of me. There are credit unions that charge their members for checks too and mark them up a whole lot. That's not very credit union friendly if you do that at your credit union. And I'm talking to you if you're on the board of directors of a credit union or you're one of the executives at a credit union. Remember, you're better than a bank. Don't do things like them. And from Pamela in Georgia, what is the best trip insurance that would cover a cancellation due to a death in the family? Um, first of all, Pamela, I'm really sorry that you have a family member who is ill and that becomes a factor in insuring a trip. There are a number of websites that compare various trip cancellation, trip interruption policies. And if you go to insuremytrip.com, you'll be able to compare various policies. All of them will cover a situation of death with limitations. They will name what relations represent an acceptable closeness, you know, does include aunts and uncles, nieces and nephews, first cousins, only siblings, children, parents. Like they will scope out for you in the wording what constitutes a family member that is eligible under the policy. You also have to look if 
this family member you're concerned about is already ill, whether the policy would preclude coverage for that individual's passing because they were already in the throes of an illness at the time you're buying the policy. And that, again, will vary policy to policy. There's also a difference with a lot of trip policies if you buy them at the time you book the trip or you buy the policy at a later date. Some of the policies will exclude pre-existing conditions if you don't buy the policy within a certain number of days of when you book the trip, you go outside of that, then pre-existing conditions come into play as a factor. The other thing, Pamela, is that there are several credit cards available that provide by using them to pay for your trip, include trip cancellation coverage in the credit card itself, and they will pay up to a certain amount, some cap it at $3,000, some cap it at $10,000, and that is a potential substitute for having to buy a trip insurance policy. And again, I hope the relative you are concerned about makes a full recovery and does not become a factor in any way. Coming up ahead, I want to talk about why we are moving into an era that it's fantastic to go out there and start your own business for your own benefit, potentially, and for our great nation. This is an ugly time in the technology field. Layoffs being announced everywhere. Companies in the tech field way bulked up too much in the heyday of the money being available from private equity and all the rest to fund every possible tech thing. And all the big players are looking at having to lay people off. The estimates that financial analysts have for layoffs at Amazon are just shocking as Amazon is going through a significant midlife crisis in its operation and is having real efficiency problems and staffing problems and staffing in that not having too few workers, apparently having far too many workers. Google, who has never laid people off, Wall Street analysts expect that Google, in fact, there was a headline in the Wall Street Journal the other day, it was on the front page of the Wall Street Journal, Google may have to be very un-Google-like and consider layoffs. And you're going to have one tech company after another after another announce layoffs, freeze hiring, and all the rest. And in most fields, that would be terrifying to people. The tech field is kind of unique because what tends to happen every time tech goes through after a period of euphoria, and then there's that hangover, and they're like, oops, this isn't working like we thought. And there are the startups that shut down, and there are the, the big players that say, oh, we've got to lay off this, that, and the other. We have to right-size. Whoever came up with such a terrible term, right-sizing, is how you tell people they're being canned. Man. Anyway, what happens in the tech field, and this happened again and again and again, going back to last century, you can see the patterns of it. The next great wave of innovation in tech follows every 
downcycle in tech and the layoffs that occur. Because what happens is just typical corporate stuff is it is tech enterprises get more and more successful and get larger and larger. They get more bureaucratic. They become more risk averse. And the changes they need to make to serve people in the next era, they're just flat footed doing it. I mean, you think about Facebook now called Meta. I mean, you look at the billions they've spent on all this VR stuff that has been a big bust. And, you know, it's because they feel like they've got to have a second act other than doing all this social media stuff they do. And so they decided this was going to be it. And they've thrown billions at this for not a positive result, only a massively negative result. And so what will happen now is all these creative very bright minds will go out there and they're going to start the next wave of innovation, which is what keeps the United States economy the envy of the world. I don't look at this in the short term. Obviously, layoffs create hardship in people. But what is different and truly unique about the technology field is that pain leads to the next wave of enormous benefit both to workers in the field and the U.S. economy. If you are somebody in the tech field who ends up getting laid off in this cycle, this down cycle for tech, what is it that you think is a missing link in what people would like or what technology should be offering or make something that exists today better? Think about your role in that and what you can make happen because there are going to be many people today who are going to realize later that the best day of their life was being laid off by a tech firm because of the possibility it created next in their lives. Krista? All right, we'll start with Jim in Washington. Regarding HSAs, one important note that no one ever mentions is the beneficiary consideration. If you add a non-spouse beneficiary to the HSA account, then when they inherit, the entire HSA must be liquidated and taxes are due on the full amount. A non-spouse beneficiary cannot keep the HSA. A spousal beneficiary will be able to continue the HSA. This is also important when thinking about which accounts to draw from first in retirement. You don't want to leave your heirs with a large HSA balance upon your death. After age 65, you may take regular withdrawals for non-healthcare expenses and only pay the income tax on those withdrawals. Very, very, very good point, Jim. And this also brings up the issue with traditional IRAs. Traditional IRAs inherited by a spouse are treated one way, inherited by family members It's a messy, difficult, and expensive event. And so if you're single or divorced, whatever, you have kids with an HSA, with a traditional IRA, that's money that when you, if you sit down with a financial planner, if you have one and all that, you need to think through these estate planning issues about where the money is pulled from, just as Jim said, to reduce the tax burden on a future generation. Just so you know, one of the greatest assets for your kids to inherit is a Roth IRA, 
one of the worst assets for your kids to inherit a traditional IRA. And we were talking about HSAs there, right. but the, the same issue applies with them and IRAs. Okay. So Shelly in California says, my husband and I have our credit frozen with all three agencies. Within the last month, we received emails and snail mail from various lenders saying they denied a loan my husband applied for because the credit is frozen. He hasn't applied for a loan. And when we look at our credit scores, there are zero inquiries. Are these all scam emails and letters or is something going on? Are there any steps we should take? So Shelly, something is going on and this is what it is. You know how, because of the Equifax data breach, uh, more than half of American adults, all their key personal information is out in the marketplace for criminals because of Equifax's gross negligence. As a result, criminals just can take their time and one by one, they keep seeing who they can use the stolen information to steal money as if they're them. It could be other breaches as well, but the likeliest remains and will be for years, the Equifax data breach. So the credit freeze worked as intended as a criminal tried to use your husband's full data file stolen from Equifax or somewhere else, they applied for credit. And the only reason they did not succeed is because you had your credit frozen. These notices coming to you are key information that a criminal is attempting to cause real havoc in your husband's life. And so these letters are real. It is a real event and the system is working. It doesn't mean that a criminal with that information couldn't engage in other ugly things like uh, potentially opening a checking account as if they were your husband, that sort of thing. But being able to open a loan as if they're your husband, the system has worked the way it is supposed to. And that's why uh, there are people who have put a credit freeze in place and sleep well at night, hopefully. And there are those who have not, and they may be sleeping well now, but later once their identity gets cracked, it's a mess to clean up and you'll have some sleepless nights. So if you haven't frozen your credit, like Shelly and her husband have done, please do so. Very simple. If you go to Clark.com slash credit freeze, we walk you through how to do it. And Harry in Missouri says, Clark, can you address the demise of the loyalty programs that many brands offer? I received an email yesterday from Best Buy that they're changing their loyalty program again. Now the loyalty program only works if you use their credit card, which I will not do as I recently got the Alliant Visa signature. Big thanks to Team Clark for that heads up. Is this current change a sign that Best Buy is in trouble or a general trend in the loyalty program market? Will they ever return to where they once were or will they fade into infinity? Love the podcast. It gets me home from work every day. So first of all, about Best Buy, what's the thing? Is it from Shakespeare? The rumors of my death are greatly exaggerated. Yes. Did I get that right? Wow. Okay. So people have given up on Best Buy for a long, long time, and they have been a survivor. They have not been able to execute an effective online strategy yet. They continue to be mostly a a store that sells to people who prefer buying in person. So the change they've made is they've taken away our reward money. If you're not familiar, I've been in the, the rewards program at 
Best Buy for a long time. I have lost, just as you have, Harry, I will no longer get what are essentially credits towards future purchases at Best Buy because I'm not going to carry, I don't carry store cards, they're junk. So I'm not going to get a Best Buy credit card. And so I'm just going to give that up. It also takes away a price advantage Best Buy had for purchases because no longer do I have those reward dollars reducing the price of a purchase I make. So they, in their own infinite wisdom, have decided to do what's really been in lately, and that is devaluation of benefits. We've seen it with airline after airline after airline, hotel program after hotel program, devaluing the value of points we have or miles we have, and traditional non-travel businesses, like in this case Best Buy, have decided they've been too generous with their rewards program and are doing a cutback. So this is a problem that we've talked about with so many different companies. And remember, the companies that we sign up and get hooked into their reward programs, the law is pretty clear. They own what we consider to be our points, our credits, our miles, and they can yank them away from us or devalue them pretty much at any time. And um, the quote earlier, not Shakespeare, it's actually Mark Twain, although apparently he was misquoted. It's a whole story. So... Wait, you told me yes, and then you're telling me no? I didn't know. know. I was just like, sure. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I had to look it up. So uh, before we end today's episode, just want to know, when I took poetry in high school, I am so literal, I just didn't get it at all. And there was one particular day that I was called on by my professor, teacher, his name was Dr. Roberts. And he said, Clark, this passage, what does it mean? And it was about somebody, you know, walking and crossing a stream and whatever. I said, well, it was a beautiful day. And they thought it'd be a really nice day to go out hiking and how nice it was with the stream and all that. He went crazy. Because obviously, as with any poetry, it was all uh, hidden meaning and uh what it symbolizes. Yeah. So it yeah. was it was about something in his life or whatever. He said, don't you see, I still remember this from being 16 years old. Wow. Don't you see that it was about what had happened in his life, blah, blah, blah. And now he was in this new chapter of his life and all this stuff. I said, no. <laughs> That's not what it says. <laughs> no. And then he said some things about my future that were Aww. very interesting. Well, you showed him. <laughs> no, I still don't get anything about symbolism. That's okay. I still, I'm completely literal. I don't get it. That's okay. You're doing just fine. You think so? Absolutely. I don't know. We all have our talents. And we do all have our skills. We do all have our talents. And so think back to what I was talking about about people in the tech field, it's not exclusive to tech that if you have a reversal in your career, you get laid off from your job, think about what you know, what you enjoy, what you love to talk about. Maybe there's a new career in that for you. Maybe there's a business 
in there for you. Maybe there's that entrepreneur that has never come alive in you. Think about that and know that I will never be a writer of famous poetry. That would not be my new endeavor. And I want to thank you so much for joining us by being here with us, learning and sharing. You are officially a member of Team Clark.